The following episode may contain material that some listeners may find triggering or disturbing and may not be suitable for younger audiences, including depictions of sexual assault, violence, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I share with them and they're shocked because they're like, how are you able to talk about it like this? Like, Or how are you walking around doing all these things? I would have never known that you had gone through this. But like I said earlier, it's an example to show people that you can turn your trauma into triumph. I'm still here today. I survived it and I'm thriving. I didn't just survive, now I'm thriving. And you can do the same thing. And I feel like that's going to be a huge help or stepping block in somebody else's story to help them get through what they're going through. I'm glad that I could go through it so I can help someone else not to have to go through it. That's fine. If I have to do it a million times to help save a million people, I would. Because I know I'm strong enough to get through it. That's fine by me. My story's going to do what it's supposed to do. These are stories featuring everyday women who have overcome some extraordinary obstacles. From Ash Media Network, this is the good news. Hello there, and welcome back to the Good News Podcast. Today's story is from Tyra. Tyra is from Florida, and her presence was so inviting and calm, and she was incredibly easy to talk to. What I loved about sitting down with Tyra is that even though some parts of her story was hard to get through. She spoke with so much grace. And although you can't see it, she smiles this big, beautiful smile when she tells her story. A smile that showed me that although what happened in her life is a part of her, it did not define her. Here's Tyra. Um, My name is Tyra Rush. I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida. As a kid, I would say I was very trusting, outgoing, bubbly, and silly. I just like to have fun. I like to be around people. I still am like that today. There is five of us total, and then we adopted one. And then I have got brothers and sisters as well. So it was just always a lot of kids running around. And I feel like there's two different sides of me now. Like there was her, but you know, we kind of like disconnected as I had to disconnect from her to grow and to heal. But that girl was very, before it happened, she was happy, loving, family-oriented, and just was, take like to take in the world. I like to go out and just stare at the sky. I was one of those type of girls. I just liked the beauty of life. So when I was in the second grade, I had a close family member who began to sexually assault me or abuse me as a child, and it lasted all the way into the fifth grade. This Again, this is somebody I trusted. I was a kid, I wasn't sure what's right or wrong. I think we try to like block our minds out in a lot of ways to protect ourselves subconsciously. And I believe that that's what was happening. I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want the individual to get into trouble because it's somebody I cared about still. So like, even though I cared about myself, I also cared about that individual and I was scared of what would happen if anything was to come out from that situation, so. It was a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion, and embarrassment too, and shame, and disappointment as well. I just felt let down. 
I, I felt dirty. So to me, that made me feel embarrassed, you know, to, for someone to look at me as like a case or it just all was embarrassing. And then again, it's a family member. So like what if another family member sees or finds out? It just, to me, it felt like shame and embarrassment. I don't think it really started to set in fully. Like what I, what I, what was really happening until I got older. Like I said, this happened from second to the fifth grade, and I feel like that's why I was able to fight back in the fifth grade because now I'm fully aware. Like you begin to understand a lot more at that age. You're about to go to middle school, so things are more you're exposed to more. So I knew, okay, this is absolutely wrong. Like there's definitely something wrong with this, and it just led to a lot of paranoia. Like I felt like who else could be sexualizing me? That's like a male figure in my life. It could be anybody. It just kind of like would creep me out. So I would stay away from older men. I would stay away from even men my age because the individual wasn't old. They were around my age. So I didn't know who to trust. I became angry and kind of defensive, trying to protect myself, not on purpose, but it was a defense mechanism. The individual tried to take it further. And I, that, I started to begin to learn about you know, virginity and things like that. And that's the only thing I had left at that moment that a person didn't take from me already in experiences. And so I just was like, I can't let you take it that far. Like, I won't let you take it that far. And I fought back in that moment because I was like, no, it's time to say no. It's time for it to stop. And it, it did stop after that. I think I scared the individual because now they realize that I'm aware of what's going on and that it's a no-go. And from there, it stopped. I think the last experience, again, when I fought back finally was so traumatizing or so extreme to think about. I think my brain just blocked it all off and kind of wrote it off as kids being kids. It's weird how you can know that something's wrong, but then at the same time kind of like dismiss it because, you know, it's probably common, like the individuals don't understand really what's going on. I think what really set it off for me was hormones. So... I began to have a lot of issues. I got my period early. I got it when I was in elementary school. So from there, my period was kind of, it wasn't normal. I would cramp really bad and it just wasn't consistent. So I went to the doctor with my mom and they prescribed me with birth control. From from, some, from the sixth grade to the eighth grade, I tried the lowest hormone levels to the highest. When you're that young, your cycle has to regulate itself, you know, for it to become normal. And before I take any pill, I would read about each of them. And I, I knew that one of the side effects of the final pill that they gave me with strong hormones was suicidal thoughts. It was a normal night. I was with my family. We had family over. My grandparents were over. My aunts were over. We were just sitting down watching a movie. It was a completely normal night. And out of nowhere, it just switched. I felt my body get hot. And I just felt panicked. And I went to my room, and I just spiraled from there. So... That's the first time I ever contemplated taking my own life. But I prayed, and I prayed hard because I was like, I'm not this type of person. I know that that's not what I desire, but I can't live like this. Like Thinking about what happened to me and the person who did, I was like, I can't believe that this happened. I don't want to live with that experience. I can't mentally live with that. But that's why I believe in God, because I believe that night it was literally him that saved me. That's it. So I knew that even though what my experiences were very valid and real, that was something I needed to get off of to help myself get back on my feet. I think what helped me 
was prayer, but I really, I didn't have it all together back then either. I, I prayed when I could, but sometimes I, it still was overwhelming. It still was a lot. So I didn't, I didn't cope very well. My parents were confused. They were like, I don't know why you're so angry. Like, you're mean to everyone. You're just angry at the world. I don't understand one minute you're okay. The next minute you're, you don't want to be touched. You don't want to be bothered. What's the problem? And I was like, well, one day they'll know. That was my prayer. I was like, just one day help them to find out. I don't want to have to say it, but help them to just know. And I prayed that for years, all the way through high school. My friends, again, were confused at times, too, because I'll come to school sometimes and just be in a mood, just quiet and just upset, and they'll be, they'll be confused as well. And then in college, I feel like that's when things really got low for me. My best friend and I from high school went off to college together. I was warned before I left about the type of men to look out for. Don't walk around at night. Somebody might jump out of the bushes and attack you. Don't go to frat parties. You might get assaulted there. So I stayed away from all of those things. I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't a smoker. I was a sober friend out of all of us. Um, there was one group of young men that we met, one individual. He was super sweet, super nice. You would never think that he would hurt a fly. He was just super nice and laid back and calm. He and I kind of gravitated towards more of each other because I kind of felt like we matched each other's speed. Like we weren't wild college students. We both were, you know, nice. He was nice. We became friends. We saw him at a pool party and he invited, he decided to take me and my friends to the mall to get outfits for an event that was happening that night. We were freshmen, we weren't allowed to drive. So he was upperclassman, he had a car. We were like, oh, why not? So he took us to the mall. He was like, I can drive you guys to the party too as well, if you like. So he did that as well. So that night, my friends were drunk. I made sure everybody was in their rooms and fine and everything like that. He texted me and he seemed normal through text. And he was asking if I was okay. And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, helping my friends get ready for bed. And then I'm going to get ready for bed. So he was like, I'm just going to stop by and check on you, make sure you're okay. We're at co-ed, the dorm, but we weren't allowed to have visitors from the opposite sex in our room. So that was my fault for letting him come. But I was like, you can come over. Like, you know, people did it anyways. So I let him come. I was like, the door's unlocked. So just come in. So he comes in, but he's acting drunk. Like, he's acting drunk, drunk. And so I was like, oh, well, I was uncomfortable. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, you should go home. I'm fine. Thank you for coming to check on me. And then he sat down and was like, I just need to sit down for a second. I'm just not feeling well. I just need to sleep. I just need to sleep. I was like, well, you should probably go home. He gets into my bed without my permission. So he goes to sleep. I sit in a chair for a long time trying to figure out what to do. So I called another friend and asked him to take me to just get food or something. I was like, by the time I get back, hopefully he's gone. I'll come back, he's unresponsive, he won't wake up. So I take a shower and I come back. Long story short, I ended up having to get into bed too because I was like, it's like three o'clock in the morning, I have to sleep. So I get him to bed, I push him over, he's on top of the blanket. So I got under the blanket to kind of like create a barrier between us. So once I finally fall asleep, again, I'm exhausted. So you know what that's like being woken up out of your sleep and you're exhausted. You're kind of like, it takes you a while to wake fully up. So he tries to like wake me up and I want to fully wake up. And so he starts touching me. 
And I was like, okay, stop. And he was like, just relax. I'm not that big. I'm like 110 pounds. Obviously, he wins. He proceeded to assault me. And I was crying and asking him to stop, and he finally stopped. And he apologized. And then he tells me the whole story about how him and his friends talked about it. Apparently, one of his friends was supposed to try to do the same thing to my friend. For me, it was like, now you've taken something that I fought to keep. Like, at that point, being a virgin was a blessing to me because of what I had gone through, and I had to fight to keep it. So for him to do that to me was like a double, like a double blow. So I felt like, now I was feeling like something was wrong with me. Like now I'm stupid because I allowed this to happen to me twice. I learned a lot about myself in that situation because it taught me that I wasn't dumb. I just wanted to still believe in people and still be able to trust. I didn't want what I experienced to be a category, to categorize all men and say that all men are bad. I need to stay away from them. And so I would go against my intuition because I didn't know much about intuition. I'm learning as I go. I would go against my gut feeling and be like, you know what? Your gut feeling is just trauma talking. Like he is saying, relax. You're probably, you probably are tripping. I finally had no choice but to start telling people. So this is where everything starts to come full circle with praying. He met a friend of mine and he was going to take, hang out with her. He was supposed to meet up with her. And I was like, oh, gosh, now I have to say something. I have to give a good reason so I don't seem like I'm a hater. Like, just telling her, no, girl, like, don't talk to him. Because he was good looking. And she was like, girl, you're tripping. Like, he's the nicest guy ever. What could he possibly have done? And I'm like, okay, so now I got to tell you guys. So I told them. And after that, my mom starts calling me consistently. And apparently he told people what happened, but he made it seem as though it was a mutual thing. And so word got around. My mom found out, I guess someone said that I was talking to a party promoter to get into parties for free and doing stuff with him, giving him favors. And I had no choice but to tell her at that point. So I told her what happened. She's going crazy about it. She wants to come to the school. She wants me to go get therapy. She wants me to report him. She wants his name. She wants everything. I'm like, you're about to blow my life up in like two seconds. I can't, like, I'm not ready for all of that. Like, I'm at a HBCU. It's his word against mine. He's our upperclassman. He's no more. Again, he has like a reputation for being a nice boy. So nobody's gonna believe it. And so I was like, just please don't put me through that. I'm not ready. After that, some other things happened as well. And I was like, okay, I'm just ready to go home. Once I was able to go home, I was able to tell my story to my mom and she likes to say you know the scripture does say confess one to another that's how you receive freedom and she just really broke that down to me you don't receive freedom unless you speak about it which is why I speak about it more and more because every time I do I receive more freedom she was definitely a pillar and a huge motivation she also experienced similar trauma as well so I think her and I together, along with my grandmother, were able to identify there was a problem, like this is a generational curse. I think that's what made it so deep for her because she was like, I just have to apologize that I did not know. She felt like she had done, based on her own trauma, that she had done what she was supposed to do to prevent it from happening to us, but she didn't realize, you know, the enemy could be in your own home. Like, it's not just always someone else. And so now together we're breaking generational curses.
I was listening to an episode on NPR's Code Switch called The Women Behind the Montgomery Bus Boycott. And when I say I was tapped in from the moment I pressed play, when we think about the bus boycott, we think about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, but we never really learned how this bus boycott was organized. But in this episode, you hear directly from the many women who organized for months and did what it took to make this bus boycott happen. And y'all, I was locked in the entire time. If you're interested in hearing more stories like this, you have to check out NPR's podcast. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories of joy, stories of resilience, stories that are distinct and varied and nuanced as the Black experience itself. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. So, as someone that has textured and curly hair, I'm excited to share Clairol's Textures and Tones came out with a permanent color range specifically for curly and coily hair types. Say hello to the improved formula and new look while preserving curls and shine. With 12 shades of brilliant intense color, no ammonia, and stacked with argon and olive oil to deliver some much needed moisture and vibrancy to your hair. So if you're my girl that likes a little color to spice up your look from time to time, the new Clairol Textures and Tomes was designed with texture and color specialists and it was created with you in mind. Clairol's mission is simple, to make every woman feel beautiful and confident and help her live colorfully through accessible and easy to use products. Save your time and your money and give yourself a new hairdo because it's not the hair color you were born with, but the hair color you were meant to be. Clairol, it is so me. I can see the wisdom in myself at a young age, which is, I feel like a gift. I feel like it's shaping me into a leader. I feel like it's shaping me into a trailblazer for those who are coming after me or who have experienced the same things as me, who never got the help that they needed. I'm someone who went through these things, but I survived it, so you can too. Healing is not linear. It's all over the place. What I hope a lot of people get from this is that it's a journey. You never know. So for me, you know, I went through a deliverance process, my first part of it. And I received freedom. And a lot of times we feel good after. and We feel like we're good from everything. We're free. We're fine. But then I didn't know about triggers. So then I started to realize that certain things were triggering old feelings in me. I thought that there was something wrong. Okay, like, why am I experiencing these feelings again? Why am I experiencing fear? Why am I having dreams? Like, I'm being plagued with dreams and things like that. So I began to realize that, you know, healing happens in seasons. For me, I know I have a season on where I have to fight, and I feel like, you know, I'm getting kicked around by my trauma. Then the next season is like a rest season to where I feel good, and I feel like that's just a reset to help you. You got more stuff you got to fight. There's more baggage that you, like, tucked away that you don't know you had that you have to fight through now. So it's a continuous journey, but it gets, I won't say it gets easier, 
it gets better. You have to be prepared for what you pray for. And it's not always going to come out or show itself the way that we think. So with me praying for freedom, for total freedom, for a shift, for growth, that means I'm going to be challenged. He sees the things that I didn't see. He knows the things that I stored away, that my brain took away, that could possibly hinder me later, that I didn't know were hindrances. Attributes about myself that I thought were my characteristics, that I thought, oh, that's just me. It's not. It's response from trauma that you built up over time. Again, in every season, you're going to be challenged to release that one part of yourself that needs to go. At this point in the story, I asked Tyra, did you ever find the courage to confront your abusers? If so... What was that experience like? And if not, would you ever do it? For my childhood, I did. That was the hardest one. The one from university, I tried to when I was there. I told him I want to talk to him because I heard, again, that he was saying stuff to other people. But everything just left me. I couldn't speak. And I walked away. So I probably still should talk to him. I can tell. People know when they did something wrong. So he would still try to speak to me, um, add me on social media. He's done all of those things, but we haven't fully addressed it. But for my childhood, that was the hardest thing ever to address that individual. You would think that it would be me attacking that person, telling them everything they did wrong. But I felt sympathy for them because I'm like, I know if I'm feeling like this, the things that I'm having to fight through, I know that you're being tormented in your mind. And so I feel like you've gotten your punishment. I don't have to say it. In order for me to truly be free and for me to be forgiven, I have to forgive. And so I told that person, you know, I feel like maybe there's something that was in you that was damaged and it caused you to damage me, but I forgive you. I hope that you heal. I do pray for you that you get freedom from what you're being tormented with. Other individuals listening might be like, how could you, why would you want to see that person be released or feel freedom? But it's not my desire for anyone to have to be bound to anything from a mistake that they made. I told that person I wish them the best. I pray for them often. I hope that they get help and freedom from what they're dealing with as well. You have to forgive. You want to be forgiven. So it's easier to let things go than to carry that weight. And I don't feel like, I feel like individuals don't look at it like, like that and wonder why they still feel heavy. You can't experience full peace and full joy and full love if you're still holding on to hate and forgiveness. There's just no way. I don't believe that the most high would have let me go through something that I couldn't handle that was too big for me. I feel like the struggles and my story that was given to me is supposed to help someone else. And it's a big thing, so I feel like it's going to help in a big way. And I decided to look at it in that way and like just be thankful that You know, I was able to experience those things in multiple ways so that I can help other women. I've experienced it from a family member, and I also experienced it on a college campus. That gives me a lot of experience to help other individuals. I can relate to various individuals about their traumas and things that they've experienced and give them guidance and wisdom and pour into them and be able to relate because I've been there. It might sound weird to people to say that I'm thankful for my experiences, but I'm glad that I could go through it so I can help someone else not to have to go through it. That's fine. If I have to do it a million times to help save a million people, I would um, because I know I'm strong enough to get through it. That's fine by me. My story is going to do what it's supposed to do. Ashley here. I am a firm believer in being the author of your own story, meaning You have the power to change your story on any given day and at any time. 
When I sat down with Tyra, I learned that she decided to do just that, to change her story, to be the change she wanted to see in the world. As the saying goes, I learned that she chartered her own organization on her college campus, a collective of young women who have experienced assault, to come together and find community amongst each other. I'll let her share more. Um, the name of it is Time for Change, and the name just, it kind of just went with the moment because it was Time for Change. During the spring semester is when the pandemic started, and we're all put on quarantine at the university. But a movement started with Black young women at my university, and they used Twitter to kind of start speaking out and exposing our university, saying, you know what, you don't protect your, your girls from assault. When we report things, you cover it up. We don't get the same treatment that other students get from other nationalities. Instead, we're silenced. What started as a movement, I felt needed and deserved more, that I could do more as an organization. So I created the organization as a student-run organization. And it's an accountability system holding a university accountable. And it also is just a group of individuals for us to come together and remind each other you're not alone and just that small message alone just empower I could see how it changed like the faces of individuals that were there like I've had so many girls approach me and young men just thanking me for creating a space that was willing to fight for them to show them that they were worth it they're worth being fought for it's sad that we can all relate on a traumatizing topic it shouldn't be that way. But it was also a relief to know, you know what, I'm not alone. Like, I thought all, for all this time that it was just me, and it's not. There's other people I can talk to now that will understand me. Whereas individuals who've never experienced it all, they kind of get a little awkward talking about the situation. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, that that happened. Or they just don't really know what to say. But when you're talking to someone who can relate, they do. You have shared experiences. You can help to lift each other up and give advice. So... Glad that we could come together and fight back against the issue. I know it might sound extreme, but it's, it can be a matter of life or death for someone. 70 women a day commit suicide following an act of sexual assault or violence in the U.S. alone every day. So you do the math, multiply the 70 times 365 days, and that's over 20,000 women who take their lives per year following assault. Finding community, finding help, and having knowing that you have resources or people who want to help that can be there for you that look like you and sound like you is important, which is why I feel like our organization is so impactful. Is because it's students that look like you. We're not an older adult who doesn't look like you, probably not the same race as you, can't relate to you, just a person sitting in a room like, okay, we'll fill out this paperwork. We're actually like your age, so we can help you through it and give you that sense of calm and relief that individuals need during situations like that. I asked Tyra that important question that you will hear me ask in every interview. For someone who has gone through this or currently experiencing this, what's the best piece of advice that you could give them? To talk about it. To find someone that you can talk to about it. Even if you just write it out into a letter and burn it and get rid of it, it has to come out at some point. To also get help, like mental health is a real thing. Getting help for that, getting professional guidance is essential. Grab onto your 
your source of like faith, whatever it is. I know we all believe in different things, but really tap into that and be honest with yourself about where you are, but don't beat yourself up about where you are. If you're not feeling good, if you're feeling like you're low, be honest with yourself and that's okay. It's normal. Just be patient with yourself and give yourself grace, but definitely talk about it. And for the second part of that question, for someone who has never gone through this, but can still learn something from you, what's the best piece of advice that you could give them? To be an ear to an individual. You might not have know all the right things to say, but sometimes just being there and comforting them, even if you're just holding them after they've told you the situation and you're asking them what they feel like they need, be patient with them as well. Um, be understanding that Again, healing is not linear. So at one point, they might have been good earlier today and they might be low later on today. Understanding those ups and downs and just being there for them. And also checking in on your friends, family, children to ask what's going on with them, to make sure that they aren't experiencing something, but they also feel safe enough to open up to you if they have experienced a trauma. That's the best thing we can do. And educating our young men and our young women about appropriate and inappropriate conduct when it comes to those things. Assault comes in many forms, not just one. I think when we hear about assault, we think of the most bloody, traumatic experience you can think of for it to be relevant. And I feel like that's the saddest thing ever. You can be, you can experience SA in so many different forms. And that's why a lot of individuals don't speak out about the things that they've experienced, but they walk around with the trauma of it because they don't feel like anyone believe me or this is kind of like stupid to say to them if they feel like I've actually heard them use those words like I can't like I don't think that that qualifies um but this is how it made me feel but I'm anything that is inappropriate touching is sexual assault you have to write to speak about it and to get help from it so there's no level to an assault to make one more relevant than the next and then surviving it is literally just that, it's survival. The girl that I was when I was younger, I, I feel like I lost her. I feel for her. You have to refine yourself. You have to relearn yourself and start all over. Right now, I'm preparing to compete for Miss Florida USA. That's in May. It's a lot of fundraising, but I definitely believe that with a platform like that, I can help to really help to promote the organization and the platform and everything that it stands for throughout this state. I can really use that title to um, charter the organization at different universities and in different cities, and they'll be more than happy to because of the title and the platform. Once you win that, you compete for Miss USA, so then I can take it even further and start to spread the message throughout the U.S. and overseas because it's such a huge pageant. So many eyes are on it, so it'll get the exposure that it feel, that it needs. So if I can spread it as much as I can, that's what I plan to do. I share it every time I speak at events um, pertaining to the subject or when it's necessary or when I meet someone and they're going through something. I share with them and they're shocked because they're like, how are you able to talk about it like this? Like, Or how are you walking around doing all these things? I would have never known that you had gone through this. But like I said earlier, it's an example to show people that you can turn your trauma into triumph. I'm still here today. I survived it and I'm thriving. I didn't just survive, now I'm thriving. And you can do the same thing. And I feel like that's going to be a huge help or stepping block in somebody else's story to help them get through what they're going through. So 
We've come to that final part of the story where I have to ask Tyra, before this happened, before college, before the assault, before starting your own organization, what would second grade Tyra think of the woman that you've become today? And if you could tell her anything, what would you say? I think she'll be proud of me because I've changed a lot from the girl who kind of shut down, closed off, fell into a shell. I'm now back open, expressing myself, using my voice again, finding my voice again. All the things that were taken from me, I've taken back and amplified it. So whereas she was, again, she was a happy girl, but she was more calm. She was upbeat, happy. But now I'm all of that times 10. So I've decided to take it back, take back everything that was stolen from me and just make it bigger and better and brighter. The things that she desired, the woman she desired to be, it looked a little shaky at first. I didn't think that I would get there because of the things I had gone through. I just didn't foresee it. But now I'm doing those things. And so I know she's like, okay, yeah, you go, girl. Flip the switch. Change the story. I'm proud of myself for for the fact that I kept going. I would tell her that she's going to be okay. Her prayers definitely were answered times 10. I'm going to make sure everything that she wanted is going to take place. And everything that we thought we lost, she gained. And that if she just keeps going, that her wisdom, that her, her prayers, her faith is what got her to where or helped to get us to where we are today. So I'm thankful for her. I'll just tell her thank you for being strong and sticking in there for both of us. If you or someone you know has experienced sexual assault, click the links in the description of today's episode to learn more about your local services that may be available to you. Help is available. The National Sexual Assault Hotline is listed in the description and you can call or chat at any hour, day or night, and it is 100% confidential. If you loved today's episode, please leave us a rating and a review. The Good News Podcast is a collection of personal stories told week by week with brand new episodes every Monday. Brought to you by Ash Media Network. And remember, with every bad day, there will always be a good day to follow. With every obstacle comes a victory. There is always something good to look forward to. Good news is always on its way.